Hello everyone, Bryce Ferguson here. I want to announce that in the following few weeks, I'll be launching a Patreon account to help fundraise for this brand new ministry into the Word. We are not yet a nonprofit ministry, therefore Patreon seems like the most logical first step in the process. I pray that you will pray and consider giving to Into the Word. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Welcome, my brothers and sisters. Today, we're going to be in the book of Genesis in chapter 15 again as we dig deeper into God's promise to Abram. Our God, such a loving, compassionate, intentional God, seeks out Abram. He seeks him out, he calls him out from Ur of the Chaldeans. From this pagan people, God calls Abram out for a very intentional purpose. He's so driven. You remember what it feels like to be chosen? Do you remember what it feels like to be appreciated, valued, loved? Not loved in the mediocre sense of the word, not loved in a tertiary sense of the word or a half-hearted expression. I mean, very focused, very wholeheartedly loved. There is not even an expression in human form on this earth that could love you so utterly and completely like God does. And he does. That's what's so wondrous and so awesome. I know it doesn't sound real because if you look around in this world, you will not find it to the same depth and to the same passionate extent. But God loves you utterly and completely. And this focus and this intention and this, and this drive to seek Abram out, to call him out from the pagan world and to set him on this intentional straight road trajectory with God changed his whole life. 
because our God is purpose driven, because our God is focused, because our God is dynamic. And that's what our world needs. And God is the only one who will do it. God is the only one who will change your life utterly and completely and transform you into someone who gives glory to God and preaches the kingdom of God and satisfies your heart in that utterly and completely. Let's pray and then we're going to open our Bibles again to Genesis chapter 15. Lord, the one who loves us utterly and completely, the one who is so intentional and so dynamic, you were absolutely holy. You were absolutely then set apart from the ways of this world. You are God who loves us with such extravagance and such grandeur. The one who created the stars so numerous in the night sky when we can see them and during the day when we cannot see them, they are there. These testify to your glory. You made them for yourself. And the secondary aspect of this to us at least to me, is that it testifies to your glory, to us. We stand in awe of the God of creation who creates with such majesty and as an almighty creator. Not creating on a small scale, God, you have created everything. Let us not lose sight of the fact that our God is dynamic, living, active, intentional, and wants to transform our lives like you did for Abram. Please open our eyes to the scripture today, Holy Spirit. Let us learn from you, and may I be faithful to speak the words that you have for me to speak. Pray this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we looked at the entirety of Genesis chapter 15. This week, we're going to look at just the first section of Genesis 15 again. 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. He says his name, personal. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven 
and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God comes to Abram after the victory of reclamation of Lot and the people who were with him and their possessions because they were carried away in battle. And two kings come out to meet Abram after the battle, the king of Salem in righteousness and the king of Sodom in waywardness. And God says, fear not. Fear not. What does that mean? What did that mean to Abram in that moment? Not sure. Was he fearful? Or was it simply the fact of God coming in his presence? As often we read about it in the Bible with angelic visitation, messengers from heaven because of their glory, because of their presence. It instills this great sense of fear or awe or trembling because you're in the presence of the kingdom of God. And here he's in the presence of God in a vision. But perhaps he was also fearful about something else. And God says, fear not. I ask you, how do we look at this life? Are we fearful? Are we anxious? How do we look at our challenges in our life? How do we look at those who actively intimidate us or belittle us or brag in pride over us? How do we look at this? Yes, God is saying to Abram here in chapter 15, verse 1, fear not, and that is to Abram. But I also take from this, what is our focus? What is our focus today? How do we look at this life? Where is our hope resting? It's far too easy if you're like myself to be distracted in any given moment. There's so much going on. Technology is a blessing and it's also not a blessing. Because while it makes some things simpler, it also brings the entire world and its full libraries and its full catalogs and its full news and some of its propaganda directly to your fingertips at any given moment. And that becomes a distraction and that becomes something else you're listening to in place of the Lord. Unless you're listening to something proclaiming and affirming the word of God to you. And God says, fear not. I am your shield. He affirms to Abram coming out of this battle, what the king of Salem said. 
that it is because of God Most High that Abram had the victory, and therefore God Most High blessed Abram in the victory. The God Most High is the possessor of heaven and earth, and that blessed be God Most High, who has delivered Abram's enemies into Abram's hand. Because God is his shield. I am your shield. Again, this is the word of the Lord to Abram, but it makes me wonder how do we look at our circumstances? What do we believe is our defense? What do, what do we believe is protecting us from the attacks of the world, from the attacks of Satan, from the attacks of demons? who are about the work of Satan? How do we look at those who ridicule us? How do we look at those who insult us? How do we look at the trials of life, which sometimes seem like they're never-ending? God says, I am your shield. Fear not, I am your shield. And to Abram, he says, after this battle, though probably unrelated to the battle, your reward shall be very great. So how is our hope? How is our confidence? I think about reward and I think about the word of God and I think about what God has in store for his children in the not yet. Are we building our homes on earth? Or are we building for God's glory? Because he has allocated to us the abilities to participate in what he is doing. Are we building, helping to build the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God, the kingdom where our God dwells. The kingdom where God reigns. And he does reign over all things, but there he fully reigns and there is no opposition. The reward is great with God because the reward of a faithful life on earth is get this, we get God. We get to be with God. Our reward is what Jesus died to give us. That though we sin, though we fall short of the glory of God, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, God still gives us himself. If our confidence and our hope and our trust is in him, i.e., if we have repented of our sin and trusted in Jesus and confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But what does Abram say? Verse 2. Something God had told him about 10 years earlier. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. 
I do believe that more so in this time and more so in biblical times at large, having a child was even more status and more important in that culture than it is today. And I'm not saying that any adult individual doesn't feel the desire to have children today or perhaps the cultural. Well, no, I do believe that the cultural pressure is different. But from an individual standpoint, maybe the same. But back at this time, there was a lot of pressure on women to have children, and notably to have a male son, so that he could carry on the family name, so that he could carry on the inheritance. That the descendants, one after another, after another, after another, we read that a little bit ago, some genealogies earlier in Genesis. This was extremely important culturally. And part of this, Abram says, What will you give me for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is going to be this other guy. And Abram forgot. Maybe Abram didn't forget. Maybe Abram remembered what God had said earlier. Maybe Abram remembered both times that God had said it earlier. And our God is very patient. And when Abram had remembered, but he still mm, doubted, he asks God who he has a relationship with. You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. God affirms to Abram what he had said at least twice before, that your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you can number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. The creator God of all, I would say the universe, because that is a phrase that we tend to use. But the universe would imply just our universe. No, he is the creator God of all universes and all space and all time. He is the creator God of all things. And this God reiterates to Abram again. As he had said previously that Abram's descendants would be as the dust. If you're able to count the dust, they will be as numerous as the dust. Now he affirms to him. He continues to tell him. He reiterates to Abram. Hey, your descendants are going to be too numerous to count. Look at the stars. And he uses this grand creation of himself. God created the stars. God brings him out and he shows him everything in the night sky. And he says, count these. Not only am I going to give you a son. I'm essentially going to give you 
all of these in number as descendants, if you can count them. <laughs> Guess he didn't say it that way. Not if you can, as it though it would be contingent. He said, so shall your offspring be. I think Abram had a crisis of faith in the waiting. When God says something, even if it seems far-fetched, what are we to do? We're to hold fast to it. Hold fast to our God, hold fast to his word, and hold fast in obedience in the waiting. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. We encounter many lessons in life that involve more patient waiting than we would select if given the option. And one thing that God builds in his children is that our timing is not God's timing. God's timing is not our timing. And that so much is made and so much is produced and so much is shown in love for God and the patient waiting. Did you know you can wait and not be patient? <laughs> you can wait because you don't have an option and you can be incredibly impatient. You can be critical. You can be derogatory. You can be complaining all the time. You can be wallowing. You can be, you can be doubting and still be waiting. And God calls his children to be patient or good in the waiting, faithful. God wants us to be faithful. Love always hopes. It always trusts. And what? It always perseveres. That language of hold fast is something that's been on my mind. You think of God's promise in creation with Adam and Eve, that a man is to leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. There is a faithfulness there. There is a covenant relationship there. God wants us to hold fast to him. That means steady. That means solid. That means a foundation in relationship. God says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. God doesn't change. God is always faithful. And God is a God of covenant. Something else with the crisis of faith, perhaps, is timing. You're focused on God. 
you're focused on God. And then technology or your watch or the calendar or the other circumstances of life ebb you away from God. And there's this tension and this competition for your attention, for your thoughts, for your feelings, for your heart, for your mind, and now your actions, because it builds, it's a process, and there is a progression. The compass for our determination of hope should not be this world. And you hear this phrase a lot, it should not be our experience. Well, my experience tells me. Well, my truth, the version of my truth tells me this. No. There's a newsflash. This world is not all about me. It's not all about you. It's actually all about God. And yet the most wondrous mysterious, beautiful gift is that God invites us in to his story. That God invites us in and he calls us out from this world and then he invites us in to his kingdom where he calls home. Where it's all about the glory of God and the worship of God and the magnificence of God, the one who created all things. We get to worship God because of the stars. We get to worship God because of planet Earth. We get to worship God because of the rhythm of the sun and then the moon and then the sun and then the moon. We get to worship the God of the water. We get to worship the God of the fire. We get to worship the God who created all of humanity in our wondrous, intricate, complicated construction. Have you ever thought about the human mind and how complicated it is? And I don't mean personality differences or, or men versus women on any given topic. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the synapses and the cellular structure and the different organs and how our mind processes chemically and electrically. I guess I would be electronically because there are electronic synapses in the body. We carry an electrical current. Isn't that fascinating? The body is made up of a majority of water and all these different organs that function together because we have a creator God. Because God decided to make humans different than any other creature in all of creation. Something very complicated and very beautiful. Something very complicated and something very wonderful. Something very intricate and something not fully unlike the Creator God Himself. Because Genesis 1 26 and 27 says, after God declares it, that we are made in His image and after His likeness. Isn't that 
wondrous. So our focus should not be our experience in life. The thing that helps us direct our life and helps direct our decision-making and helps direct our values should not be this world. It should not be our experiences. The compass for our determination of hope in this world is to be the Lord. The Lord, not an iota of this word, will pass away. God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is one that we can put our full hope in. And one who we can have lead our decision making. And direct our paths. And direct our values. So how long had it been since God first called Abram? From, verse, uh, from chapter 15 here. How long had it been since the start of chapter 12? Well, we see a span of 24 years between the start of Genesis 12 and the start of Genesis 17. And by a few timelines, it is believed to have been about 10 years since Genesis 12 and today's passage. 10 years since God first called Abram. And then he said to Abram, in all you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 10 years. And Abram thinks, I still don't have a son. I still don't have a direct descendant. It's been 10 years, God. How many more years? Is this something that you're going to do? Will you be faithful or am I not having a son? Will I not have a son? Oh, I won't have a son, I'm quite sure. Can you relate to what was probably going through Abram's mind? And yet, God's word never fails. God always delivers on his promises. God is always faithful to his covenants. And we read last week, and here in Genesis 15, God makes it vividly clear. As if Abram needed the reminder, as though God hadn't said it multiple times before, that this would be the case. God says something specific. God says something to confirm this as black and white in Abram's eyes. Skip down to verse 12 for a moment with me. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
know for certain. God continues there with a prophecy that will span over 400 years into the future. But that short phrase sticks with me. God reaffirms to his son Abram, to the one whom he has called out from this world and called to a very specific purpose with a very specific identity on a very specific mission. And primarily that is to be in personal relationship with the God of all things. God says, what I've said is what I will do. I'm faithful to my promises. Abram, know for certain. Now, again, just to be straight on the text here, he says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And what does God say, though, about a son? He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land. Verse 13. When God says something, we can hold on to it as truth. When God promises something, we can hold tightly to it and never let go. Because God is faithful to his promises. When God establishes a covenant, we can wrap ourselves around that and in that and know that God is going to follow it through to the letter. And know that God will never let go. And know that God will be faithful to his covenant. Because God is always faithful. Because God cannot deny himself. Because he is the creator God of all things. Because he is the one who reaches down to Abram and says, I will be your God. And you, and then your offspring, will be my people. So let us be in this relationship. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Do I believe that God has the very best in store in his commandments and in his word? Do I believe the way of God is better than the way of my own desires? I feel like those two are constantly in competition for my attention, for my decisions. What am I concluding when I'm presented with my desires as an option and God's commandments? 
What am I choosing when I'm tempted over on this side? And on this other side, God is saying holiness and righteousness and worship of God is what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to be set apart from this world. I'm calling you to be set apart from your own selfish, sinful desires. I'm calling you to be set apart. And along with that, do I not only believe that God's way is best, but that he will, yes, also deliver on it? Now, God makes a very specific promise to Abram here in this text. So I do want to differentiate a little bit from how we're thinking about this in our own personal lives and how we're thinking about it with our own personal circumstances. Each person's story is different. What each person struggles with is likely different. And if God has said anything specific to you, then that is akin as defined specific. But whatever God's way is, at large or specifically in your life, do you believe that that God's way, the God's law, the God's commandments, that God's desires for you are really what's best for you. And that God is going to be faithful in your life. See, there's a tension there. Abram heard from God about 10 years earlier that his offspring that he would have an offspring, first of all, but that his offspring would be numerous and that they would be many and that they would be a nation. And that Abram would be blessed so that all people would be blessed. And yet we read today's text. And Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. About 10 years, if it was 10 years, or maybe it was a different number of years, that it had been since God first called Abram and told Abram what he had told Abram. Do I believe that God will deliver on it? On his promises that he will be faithful to his word, that I can deny temptation after temptation after temptation in my life because I really believe that not only is God's way best, but that God will also provide a way out from underneath it and that God's ways are better and God will be glorified. God's kingdom will be built on it. And that this is what God wants for my life, no matter how long it is in the waiting. Do I believe that God will deliver on his word, on his promises? Because 
God is always faithful. God even gives us gifts that we do not deserve. On top of his word, on top of notably himself, that God gives us his word, God gives us himself, the opportunity, and not only the opportunity, <laughs> that's the invitation to receive Christ is the opportunity. But once you do lay down your life, receive Christ, and now worship him as Lord and Savior. He gives us himself for all eternity. But even in addition to that, God gives us gifts of which we also do not deserve. Think about Abram. Abram was nothing. He had nothing. He was nothing that would be notable for God to draw near to him. Scripture doesn't say that he was special, doesn't say that he was, that he was righteous from the beginning before God came to him. Abram came from the land of Ur. They were a pagan people. So for all that we know, before God called Abram, Abram also acted in paganness with a pagan belief system or no belief system. Yet, God chose Abram. God chose to bring Abram to Canaan and give him the promised land. God chose for Abram and Sarai to have a son and for that son to start the great lineage of Abram's descendants. God chose to bring Abram outside to look at the stars and to say, so shall your offspring be. Our God is wondrous and awesome and his love is so incredible. It's so far above what you could find in love on this earth. Now, when you do find love on this earth, is it love that gives glory to God? If you're dating someone, if, if you're engaged to someone, if you're married to someone, is this someone who affirms to you and preaches to you the word of God and the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because if so, then this is the closest that you could get to paralleling the love of God. But still, God loves you perfectly. God loves you utterly and completely. God, the creator, God of all things, the one who created you, individual you. Different than the rhetorical you, different than all of the humans on earth. Now I'm talking about you. God created you. God knows you. It says in the Psalms that he knows every single hair on your head. That's basically impossible to count unless you have a computer and some kind of fancy sensor. Or for some, it may be easier than others, but Psalm says that God stitched David together in his mother's womb. The creator God of all things knows you. 
utterly and completely through and through every thought that comes through your mind, every word before you speak it, the motivations of your heart, God knows it all. This is the almighty God and creator of all things. And he loves you differently and better than anyone else. And it is when we love other people with the love of God that we truly show other people love. We can show people authentic love, but their true and best and perfect love will come from God alone. And that is why God is their God alone. And that is why God is their Savior alone. And that's why God is their sustainer alone. If you're in a relationship with someone, this could even be a best friendship or a really good friendship, but also if you're dating, engaged, married. You're not going to be able to fulfill all of the desires of this other person, and you were never meant to do so. Because the author and creator of all things is the only one who can fulfill each person. So you and this other person, God alone. And one of the best gifts that you can give this other person in your life or other persons, obviously we all have friends and we have family to some extent and some more family than others. And for some, they are the only family that they have still. When we bring them to Jesus, when we speak the word of God over them, when we pray with them, when we encourage them in the word, when we encourage them in the Lord, when we say, it is only through Jesus that your heart will be fulfilled. Someone's going through a very hurting time, so bring them to Jesus, the one who created them, the one who can heal them, the one who can love them in the way that they need to be loved, the one who can support them the one who can transform them is God alone. And yes, God gives us each other to do so in a human form. Now, tangibly encourage them. Tangibly love them. Tangibly have compassion on them. What does scripture say? In James, that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Let us remember that we are loving other people when we do it in that order. Let's pray. The God of promises, the God of covenants, the God who created all things, the God who created the human mind and the human heart and each of us individually. Lord, let us not look to our own desires or to the desires of others who want to push their desires onto us, who want us to adopt their version of truth 
or their experiences and that their experiences should define what we know as truth. Jesus, you said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. So God, let us embrace forever. Your word, which stands forever. You, O Lord, who dwell outside of time, who have always been, always are, and always will be. You are great God, the one who defines us, who defines truth, and who defines this world. May we cling to you and hold fast to you. The one who knows us fully and still loves us completely. Pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 16.